Today, we're talking with the co-founders of Stored. My name is Jacob Boudreau, and I'm the CTO at Stored. My name is Sean Henry, and I'm the CEO at Stored. Can you hear that youthful optimism in their voices? Well, that's because they're young. They're only 18 and 19, the youngest founders here at Dynamo. That youthful optimism is coming in handy as they are facing that challenge that oh so many startups will face, the pivot. What made you late last year, early this year say, I'm going to do this startup. Yeah, uh, essentially I was sort of intrigued by all the peer-to-peer uh, -peer sharing economy models out there. And I heard a lot of people talking about in Europe the just park model of parking in other people's driveways. Um, and I really started to talk to people about that just out of interest and started hearing that people were saying how that applies to storage. and. Without going too much into that model, I think it's just what most entrepreneurs see is you get an idea of a certain market or industry that maybe has some problems. In this case, we started looking deep into storage, um, and you just basically decide, do you want to commit down the path of finding the pain points that a customer has in that industry and going about solving them? And in that case, we decided we did. We started asking people, what pain points do you have with storage? What do you like about it? What do you dislike? And thought it was a big enough problem to try to fix. Sure. Um, so that concept that you just explained, that is no longer what Stored does. So why don't you just give us the quick summary. What is Stored today? Yes, yeah, Stored provides flexible and affordable warehousing for businesses. Uh, so essentially, we act as a matchmaker pairing businesses and warehouses who have excess capacity to businesses who need warehousing and supply chain solution. And one thing, we're in, what, week eight, seven? Seventh, I think. Yeah. And as much as this has been a growing experience for you two as individuals and founders collectively, you have drastically shifted your business. Talk about that. What was it like firing customers or I guess communicating with them, getting rid of them, and then how did you two kind of collectively say, okay, this makes sense, and how did you put your egos aside to do that? Because it's a very difficult thing to do, especially when you're 18 and 19 years old. Yeah, so essentially, overall, we just had to weigh the pros and cons of each model and uh, what the value we were providing to the customers in the two different cases are. What value do we provide to a consumer in storage versus what value as a business? And I mean, then it's way, what are your margins in each of them? Uh, how do you get to the end customer in each of them? And just which reacts better? Can you, do you want to spend all day advertising and trying to get to an end consumer? Or do you want to spend all day calling and outbounding to businesses to see if they identify with the solution you're trying to give? And we just got a lot better of a response right off the bat in the business to business model. Obviously, there's a longer sales cycle. So it's not a consumer model where I can get you to pay me $50 today if you like what I'm doing. It's We're trying to get you to pay us a good amount of money for a maybe medium to long-term solution. Um, but I just think really you have to talk to your current customers to see if the values you're th you think you're selling are why they're buying it. And if they're not, then sort of reevaluate and talk to who you think your new proposed customer is and see if you correctly identify how those values translate to them. 
Was there like a tipping point when you went? Because I'm sure it's a, a huge decision to all of a sudden completely change how your business works. Was there a moment when you went, okay, this is the right decision? Or was, was it more of a collection of moments? No. I think it all led up to sort of a moment for me, at least. And Santosh was there in the room. It was, for me, Santosh, it was when us three sat down and sort of reviewed our deep dive. So once a week we have these deep dives where we sit down with all of the sort of lead leadership structure at Dynamo. And after that, we did come away a little bit confused, not knowing where to go next necessarily. We talked about maybe we weren't selling customers on the right thing. Maybe they weren't purchasing our solution because of what we thought. And maybe we were incorrectly identifying pain points in the industry. And so we did a almost secondary deep dive to recap the first one. And we just got on to talking about how some of the mentors at Dynamo who are in business kept talking about warehousing and why were we ignoring that? How does what we're doing apply to that? And I think there was a lot behind that. Like there's not just an aha moment. There's like a lot that leads up to it. What was the emotion of making that decision? Were you disappointed? Was it more exciting? And I think it was kind of a bit of a roller coaster in some ways. Because like once you, you know, as an entrepreneur, once you commit to an idea, it sort of becomes a part of you, right? So in many ways, it was, I think, somewhat difficult to just drop the previous one. But, um, you know, knowing, having talked to, like Sean said, all of those mentors and listened in to all the different pieces of advice that we could get here, um, I think it gave us knowledge that there's a much greater opportunity and um, a chance to do something even bigger in this new sort of new option. So in terms of the new option, what has that process looked like as you've actually made the transition into your new goals as a company from both of your perspectives? A lot of talking. I mean, the first thing you have to do is talk to who you think is going to both pay you, or in our case, we are now uh, somewhat of a middleman. So we have a provider and we have a customer. So the first thing we did was we were hypothesizing that hey, warehouses have this excess capacity, they'd want to rent out on a more flexible basis for maybe even discounted rates uh, because they know it's going to go to waste otherwise. So we don't know that. We're not a warehouse. But first thing we did was email and call hundreds of warehouses, and the response we got was immediately from some of the biggest warehousing companies there are. Of course, yeah, send us a customer. We'd love to do that. We'd love to be a provider. So then we sort of stepped back and said, okay, there's one side of the equation we did correctly identify with them. Now we have to go see who this solution really applies to and start asking businesses, why would you use this? Where is this valuable? Um, because if you're going to go out and sell something, especially in the B2B space, you have to know why that customer is going to pay you. It's not, like I said, it's not asking you $45 for storage that you already know you need to store something. It's, this is why this is a long-term solution. This is why it, it's not the most cost-effective way you're doing it right now. Mm -hmm. You have to really understand why they're going to pay you for something. Yeah, so I mean, like as Sean sort of touched upon, um, once you, I think for us, once we got over that initial, like, validating that there is a need there, it was a lot of research into really understanding um, sort of the different characteristics that define our customers. And I mean, even, I mean, for the life of our business, I'm sure we'll be doing it even deeper, but um, really understanding our customer, their pain points, what um, what defines each one. For that outreach, are you just cold calling or cold emailing people that uh, warehouses? A bit of both. I mean, it has to be a cadence of how you want to communicate with someone. So 
a lot of times we'll do like start the day with some emails to people, follow up with a phone call, leave a voicemail. If they don't answer a few days later, try them back again. Um, honestly, you can't really expect even 70% of people to answer their phone the first time you call them. It's mm -hmm. a very low number, so you have to leave a lot of voicemails and do a lot of follow-ups. Uh, just get in front of them however you can. How are you balancing the fact that right now you guys are doing some unscalable things, we say, and eventually you want to be technology-driven. So how, as the CTO and the CEO, are you thinking through that transition, if you would, because it needs to come in the next yeah. year? Yeah. Well, I was, I've been telling Jacob, I think he actually makes the perfect CTO for this type of company because he is not just technology-focused. Right. Like right now, we don't even really need someone full-time working on tech. We need someone who can take in what's happening on the business development side and know how we're going to pose that to be a tech-forward company and integrate that with tech at every step. So I just think the most important thing we can do is um, systematically with each sale, with each customer we talk to, know how eventually that's either going to be automated or brought onto our website rather than right now in the past few weeks and we've been talking to and selling to people our website hasn't really even been a tool for us it's just been there if they want to look at it but there's nothing they can really accomplish on our website but now we're starting to roll out like okay these many people asked to do this function on our website or see this type of information let's layer on the first tech we can until we can eventually fully automate what we're doing most likely yeah, and I, I mean, I think that initially we have to do those unscalable things to understand what processes we need to actually put in place. Yeah, and it's really, I think it's really hard <laughs> to tell yourself that. Like, we've definitely had some times where, like, is cold calling all day the best thing we should actually be doing? And times when we've been like, maybe it's not. Um, but then the results and the, the sort of the knowledge you get out of it of what you should do next, I think makes it so valuable and if the sale comes out of it that's even more valuable so how are you guys making money i know part of it you know is still kind of get being discovered since you've made a pivot but yeah well i think it's interesting as the i think the only consumer company here or no not only not only but one of the only consumer companies here prior we didn't necessarily understand the problem with pricing that so many b2b companies talk about because it's like okay I'll tell you $50 for storage if you don't pay it we'll change the pricing and if you do we'll maybe raise it um, but now especially as more of a traditional brokerage model with some added tech um, we've really had to look into pricing we've talked about that a lot because we have to think how do we make sure we do get paid if we're just connecting two people in the, at the end of the day so the model we've sort of gone with is at first, we're starting with the traditional pricing model in the industry. So traditionally, if someone refers business to a warehouse, like a trucking company refers business to a warehouse, they'll ask them for X percent every month uh, perpetually or for the first three to five years that customer is there. Oftentimes, they'll be there less. Um, so we're going with that model of we're not processing the payment, but we're having uh, the warehouse pay us. So that's actually an added benefit as well, because then we can say to the customer, the one who's paying the warehouse, hey, we're not a consultant. We're not trying to add on costs of come talk to us and we'll find you a warehouse. Our customer is kind of also the warehouse. We're trying to get them a customer and reduce the cost to you. So 
it's not really a financial burden for the customer to use us. And it's, so we take the money from who's benefiting the most from us financially. You're two people, two young people, who um, have a lot on your plates, maybe even more than the other uh, companies here, just because you have had to make this huge change. What prompted you to want to start a company, first of all? So why so young? Why did you jump into this startup life? And then now that you're kind of in it to win it now, anything take you by surprise? Is it harder than you thought? What have you kind of learned? Just that experience. I think the biggest thing I've learned, I'll start with that, Mm -hmm. is the same thing I tell anybody who asks about entrepreneurship is you don't really know what your product is. And I'm not the first person to say this, obviously. A lot of people have said this. But you honestly don't know what your product is. Like I said, you sort of test an industry. You test an idea, a hypothesis of this is a pain. And you respond to what is someone actually going to pay me for? Mm -hmm. So if we hypothesize that you as a warehouse want to fill your space we can build a product around that that we think is going to sell, but we don't know if that's our end goal, that's our end product until we see what people really start paying for for it. What motivates you? Um, sort of weighing your time. So that's that's a big driver for me in entrepreneurship. I mean, I'm a big philosophy nerd, so um, uh, like a lot of that talks about like you know the soul and the usage of time and um, those sort of things and like. Sean can tell you, I even have like a wallpaper on my laptop mm-hmm. that has literally all the months of my life if I lived to 90 and like the ones that I've lived through crossed out. Wow. So, um, so it's I'm like, scary. yeah, I'm very much like driven by like the finiteness uh-huh. of time. So being able to leverage that for a large massive opportunity and best using that is sort of what really drives me, I guess, in entrepreneurship. That's very interesting. That's a. I think that's a great way to live. Like, you, you, it make it forces you're you. You're eventually going to die. So you're going to die. Worth it. Last comment on that though is something I was just thinking of. Jacob and I talk about a lot with the idea of maybe we are blindly optimistic young, quote unquote, entrepreneurs. Is that we see maybe more opportunity than there is sometimes. Like. I think we were too focused in Atlanta on like building an asset-based storage business that wasn't necessarily scalable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to be pulled back from that. But then when you are pulled back, it's like you look at the carpet in this room and some family makes all their money off of this texture of carpet or that window. Mm -hmm. And so if you really think about it, there's money to be made and opportunity everywhere. So that's why I think a lot of times you just sort of pick an industry and decide where to dedicate your time and what to find the problems to solve. So you guys are in the process of making a ton of calls every day. You guys are extremely committed to that. So well done. But with that, if there's something, you know, any one of our listeners could help out with, what would that be? I think any connection to someone with industry experience in warehousing or someone who is, um, works with outside warehousing or third-party logistics providers at a business would be extremely valuable to speak with. And, of course, if you want to be a customer, that's great, too. All right. I think that's all we have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. That was Stored. Learn more about Stored at Stored.co. Stop saying Stored. This week's episode was brought to you by Ryder. When you choose Ryder, you get industry-leading tech, one of North America's largest fleet of trucks, and an expansive infrastructure of maintenance facilities and warehouses, not to mention a bunch of super talented people. We like those people. 
Want to learn more about Dynamo? Go to hellodynamo.com. Say hello to us also on Twitter at This Is Dynamo. All right. Be back next week.